This morning's scripture reading is taken from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 6. Hebrews 8, 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. nor the son of a weatherman. But I do know, having lived in West Texas for a number of years, that we get almost 14 inches of rain here in Midland. Sometimes. And sometimes we get 14 inches of rain in two showers. I guess this is one of them. But in this part of the country... We are thankful for rain whenever we see it. Forget not all his benefits, Psalm 103 and verse 2. Weather is something we often complain about. Do all things without murmuring or grumbling, Philippians 2.14. And I've got to tell you, I enjoy rain. It's great sleeping weather, amen? And it's great for those of us that are trying to grow tomatoes, too. We're thankful for that. Not only that, but when you think about weather and being thankful, how often will July come upon us, and if the weatherman is right, and I'm not one or the son of one, we may not see 90 degrees for several more days. Can I get an amen for that? God is good. This weather reminds me of the weather that I had to face when I was in Alabama a few weeks ago. I mentioned that it rained so much there that when I walked outside the church building, I heard the bullfrogs croaking. My preaching had an effect on the bullfrogs. They croaked too, y'all. But anyway, as we think about the idea of better... I was in a rental car when I was in Alabama. Admittedly, I haven't kept up with all of the latest and greatest options that you can get on a car. And we didn't choose the most expensive car by a long shot. But when I got in this car and put the cruise control on, I kept being frustrated because the cruise control would go off anytime I got ready to pass somebody. It turned out that it had been a technology matter where if there was so much space between me and the car I was to pass, the car would automatically slow down before I began my pass. I wasn't ready for that. Eventually, it was figured out. But technology, you buy a new car, you buy a new phone, You buy a new computer today, it is out of date tomorrow. Isn't that the truth? It really seems that way. And I guess we are just caught in the throes of 
phones and computers and automobiles because periodically we all have to get them, it seems. The devil is trying to convince us that the way of Jesus is old and out of date and obsolete. He really works hard on that. And some of the ruses that he uses are really very clever. He gets us to rely more on ourselves rather than the supremacy and the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Yet Paul would write, and if anybody should know a thing or two about relying on self and being righteous, it would have been Paul having a righteousness not my own, but a righteousness that is out of God. Philippians 3 verse 9. Sometimes the old devil works on us with the temptations and the allure of the world. That can be really powerful sometimes, can it? Luke 8 and verse 14. I want you to know in the book of Hebrews, the old devil was working on Jewish Christians. And he was trying to get them to go back to Judaism. He was trying to get them to go back to Judaism because, after all, it is the one God. And after all, God did speak in the Old Testament. And after all, there was a place for the temple and for the sacrifices and for the priesthood. And in order to avoid persecution and sacrifice as Christians, that might have sounded pretty good to these Jewish Christians. They could have avoided a lot of trouble with Rome. However, the writer of Hebrews is stating in very clear terms, if you leave Jesus, you leave the better and you return to what is vanishing away and was never intended to last. If you leave Jesus, you are going to what is out of date and obsolete, and you are sacrificing what is better. So the word better could easily be the key word of the book of Hebrews. Really, the book begins by saying that God has spoken in a better way through His Son, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And that Jesus is better than angels, the rest of chapter 1. That He's better than Aaron and Moses, the great prophet and the priest of the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood, Aaron's. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 8. I'd like for us to focus especially on verses 1 through 6 this morning as we look at a subject I just call better. Because when you look at Hebrews 8, 1 through 6, we see Jesus, first of all, as the better high priest. Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2. Secondly, you and I will see Jesus and His priesthood being in a better place. 
Hebrews 8, verses 2 through 5. And then you will see in verse 6 what Brother Boyd was reading for us a moment ago. A better covenant with a better mediator and better promises. A better high priest ministering in a better place, mediated by a better mediator in a better covenant with better promises. Better, better, better. Now, go back and look at Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Because Hebrews 4 and verse 14, brothers and sisters, begins an extended discussion of the main subject that the writer of Hebrews talks about. Hebrews 4.14, I'll read it. Since we have a a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You can underline it. Doesn't that fit in well with a group of people who were in danger of leaving what was better and going back to something that could never really give the salvation that they longed for, the relationship with God they desperately needed? From Hebrews 4.14 to Hebrews 10.18, the subject that is primary is the high priesthood of Jesus. Well, there's only 13 chapters in the whole book. What's the bulk of the book of Hebrews about then? Jesus, our great high priest. You go back to the Old Testament and to those high priests... You are going back to a system that has become out of date. And you're going back to a priesthood that's inferior by far to what is better. All right. Having observed these matters by way of introduction, go back to chapter 8 with me. And if there's a distinction here that can really be examined... Looking at this idea of the priesthood of Jesus from 4.14 through 10.18, from 4.14 all the way through chapter 7, the writer seems to be dealing with personnel or the people who were priests. And his point comes to a great a great high in chapter 7 when he says that Jesus is a priest forever after the order of who? That's exactly right. He pulls a rather obscure Old Testament character out of Scripture and yet he shows how Jesus is a priest forever after Melchizedek's priesthood. He's dealing with the people, the personnel who served as high priest. And he's saying, quite simply, Jesus is better. And when we get to chapter 8 and we work our way through chapter 10 and verse 18, he is really referring to the ministry of these priests. Not only is Jesus a better high priest, he's got a better ministry. He has a better gift and offering to make. He serves under a better covenant. And he serves 
in a better place, heaven, glory. All of this will help us really appreciate what's being said in Hebrews 8, 1 through 6. Now verse 1. I read from the English Standard Version. Now the point in what we are saying is this. The big idea, the main point. If you read from my grandmother's translation, the King James, it says the sum. All of these are great ways of saying the crowning argument and the big idea of everything I've been saying about the high priesthood is this. We have such a priest. First of all, when you look at verse 1, it refers to this high priest, moral excellence. We have such a high priest. Go back to Hebrews chapter 7 and look at verse 26. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Same type of terminology. Holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. His moral excellence. Secondly, look at verse 1. Because five characteristics of his priesthood are brought out. His moral excellence, and then secondly, his finished work. What word shows that in Hebrews 8.1? His finished work. The word seated. Seated. Brother Clay in the tabernacle, there weren't chairs except for one. The only chair in the tabernacle, the tent, was the mercy seat. And no high priest would have ever thought of sitting in that because of what that seat represented. When you think of Jesus as high priest, however, His work is complete as it concerns the offering, the sacrifice. He is seated. When He was on the cross, He cried, John 19.30, It is finished. So we think of Jesus and His moral excellence better by far than the priest of the Old Testament. We think of His finished work. Sometimes, you know, you think about your day and you think, I've been on my feet all day. If one were a high priest, they were on their feet a lot ministering. Where's Jesus? He's seated. Third, observe His enthronement at the right hand. At the right hand. Of the throne. By this passage, jot down in your Bibles two passages. The first one is Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 110, 1 through 4. This is a passage that the writer has used quite a lot already, but he has emphasized a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, 1-4. That's what chapter 7 is all about. Jesus, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. What he is emphasizing now is that he's a king. 
that he's enthroned. That Jesus is a priest and a king. Now you can read through all of the kings of the Old Testament. And outside of Melchizedek, you're not going to find one that was a priest and a king. Simultaneously. But Jesus is. Our king is our high priest and our high priest is our king. Sometimes people say, well, what do I need a high priest for? Why can't I just go to God? Hebrews is a good book to read for a lot of reasons. Hebrews tells us that people lack the excellence and morality to approach God on their own. No matter how good a person is, they lack that. Jesus has it fully because of his sinlessness. The second passage is Zechariah 6, verses 12 and 13. One who would be called the branch, the righteous branch, would come by way of prophecy, and this individual would be both a priest and he would sit and reign. So if you'll put Psalm 110, 1 through 4, and Zechariah 6, 12 and 13 right there, that will serve you well at some point in your life because of who we are talking about. A better high priest who gives us the access and relationship with God that no Old Testament priest or anyone else ever could. Keep looking at what's said. It says in verse 1, at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. He is at the right hand of the throne, on the throne. Therefore, I conclude that he must also be God. Because who in the world is ever going to be at God's right hand on the throne if he is second rate or if he is just a mere man? What I want you to understand is this. There's a lot of people that think, well, Jesus was just a really good man. And there's a lot of people that think, well, Jesus is a created being, but he's like an angel or something like that. He is not merely man, though he is a man. He is fully man and fully God, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 And notice what it says. His ministry is where? Hebrews 8.1 Heaven. A better place. Better by far. Philippians 1, 21 through 23. Notice what else is said. Verse 2, he is a minister. While Jesus' sacrifice is complete and once for all, he's still doing something. I encourage you to go right back to chapter 7 and look at verse 25. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7, 25. 
He is our advocate. 1 John 2 and verse 1 at the Father's throne. Now look, if you will, at verses 2 through 5. Better. A better high priest in a better realm. Everything about the tent, the tabernacle, should have indicated to God's people this is temporary. They were always having to move it when they traveled. And when they finally got it to Jerusalem, still it is a tent, a tabernacle. It's, it's not a permanent edifice. Wasn't intended to be. Now when you look at verses 2 through 5, catch this. Every priest must have gifts and sacrifices to offer. Notice where Jesus is doing this, verse 2. Jesus is a minister, a servant. First of all, the passage says, in the holy place or the holy places. The heavenlies, Ephesians 2, verse 6. In the true tent, underline the word true. Because the word true means genuine and authentic. The one that finds its origin with God and God's purposes. John 1, verse 9 is a good reference to jot down here. The true tent. And then it says that the Lord set up, not man. Well, who was setting up the tabernacle, the tent, as it moved from place to place? Men. But it is to figure, or it was a copy of a heavenly place of worship. Where God's presence was. That was designed by God Himself. Look here. Every high priest must have gifts and sacrifices to offer. Here's a logical point for you, Ryder. With your background down at Sheffield, you'll appreciate it. Logical point. Every priest offers gifts and sacrifices and they need a place to do it. So did Jesus. Where? Where? If you were a Jewish Christian, you were thinking a lot about all the sacrifices of Judaism and where they were offered. And the writer of Hebrews says, you'll never find a better place for ministry to be done and for the sacrifices, benefits to be given than heaven. It is a logical and practical Reason. Here's the second reason. When you're working your way with me through Hebrews 8, 2 through 5, there's a genealogical reason. There's a genealogical reason. The practical, logical reason is priests have to offer sacrifices and gifts. Jesus needs a place to do that as a high priest. Where is it? Heaven just makes sense. But here's the genealogical reason. Were he a priest on earth, which he wasn't, he could not be high priest in heaven 
which he is. Were he a high priest on earth, which he wasn't, he could not be a high priest in heaven, which he is. What do you mean by that? Exactly this. Jesus was from what tribe? Judah. Hebrews 7, verses 13 and 14. Concerning which the Lord said nothing regarding priesthood. Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the rod from between his feet, until Shiloh, bringer of peace, prince of peace, comes. Isaiah 9, 6, Colossians 1, 20. Jesus makes peace by the blood of the cross. There's a genealogical reason. Jesus is high priest in heaven where he has taken the benefits of his saving sacrifice and that cleanses us. But there's a third reason. And it's a typological one, type. The word type is seen in verse 5. You've got the word copy or the word shadow. They are closely related terms. And when you think about type or typology, here's how to bring it out in a way that's easy. Old Testament pictures of New Testament realities. Hear me, hear that, young people? What's a type? An Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. Couldn't get a better example than Kyle gave for us in the Lord's Supper meditation. Whole thing was about the Passover lamb, and his big point was Jesus is our Passover. 1 Corinthians 5 7. What is the Passover lamb? It's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. Amen? And there are a lot of these in the Old Testament, and Scripture tells us when something is a type or a picture from the Old Testament that has its reality in the New. But what I want you to see is this. The gifts and the sacrifices and the priesthood and the place, the tabernacle itself, verse 5, serve as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. When Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, it's Exodus 25 verse 40, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Get this because it's really important. It's as if God gave Moses... A blueprint, a copy. He gave Moses this picture and instructions concerning how the tabernacle was to be built. Everybody see that and you can agree with it, right? And he says, see that you make it according to the pattern Because this was to be an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. If that is true, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, even the temple were never intended to last.
Another problem some folks have nowadays is with the Old Testament. Well, if the priesthood and the sacrifices and the place of worship, the tabernacle or the temple, were never intended to last, one might get the idea that the law wasn't intended to last either. Isn't that true? It's amazing to me how many people want to think that we are still somehow under the Old Testament. This cannot be because the Old Testament as a whole, with its priesthood and sacrifices and with its tabernacle, are copies. Now open your Bible to Hebrews 10.1 and here's the mind blower. It's the connection that we should make. Hebrews 10.1, For since the law is but a shadow, a type, a copy, the law itself is, the Old Testament law, is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality that would come along later better. Now verse 6. Everything from this point on, from Hebrews 8, 6 through chapter 10, 18, talks about Christ's sacrifices better than those that the high priest offered. Where he offered the sacrifices better than where the Old Testament high priest offered them. And the law that he brought in is better than what they served under in the old. Here's verse 6 again. As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent, much more better than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. The testament, the system spiritually under which we find ourselves is better. That word mediator, go back to Hebrews 7.22. Hebrews 7.22, if you would please. Hebrews 7.22. The passage says that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. The guarantor. Steve, you ever have to do business with somebody and you need somebody to guarantee something? Jesus is the personal guarantor, 722, the mediator, Hebrews 8, 6, of a better covenant. And notice what it goes on to say. A better spiritual law, the idea is, which includes better promises. Brother Lynn, the better promises are elaborated upon in Hebrews 8, 7 through 13. When the writer quotes from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, young people, since we sometimes talk about Bible questions... Not only this question about type and how type is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality or truth, 
the longest New Testament quote of the Old Testament is right here. The longest New Testament quote of the Old Testament is right here. In Hebrews 8. And notice what is said. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Verse 9. For they did not continue in my covenant. And then he goes on. Verse 10, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 11, all shall know me from the least to the greatest. I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Friends, brothers and sisters... What we have in Jesus is better because He's the perfect, perfect high priest and because He made the perfect sacrifice and because the covenant, the relationship He gives us with God is based on perfect promises. How blessed we are. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement at this time. Sometimes it's good just to open our Bibles and study. And I guess we'll call this a classy sermon or a preachy class. But either way, I hope you got the point. What a great God we have. Have you responded to Him and His grace? Because His is the sacrifice, the Lord's. The sins are ours. The sacrifice was His. The separation and estrangement from God, that was ours because of sin. The peace that's given comes by the cross of Jesus. One needs to come to Jesus in faith and repentance, confession and baptism to have their sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. The devil will try very hard to get you to look somewhere else or to someone else for what your soul needs. You will never find a better solution than what God has provided. Let us stand and sing.